0: Morning. I'm going to ask you to stand up with me. We've been traveling together through this series called Heart Broken, uh, as we've been digging into the seven letters written to the seven churches in the Book of Revelation. There's been a lot to learn through this series, and so what I'm going to do is ask you just to pick one thing that you've learned. I'm sure you've learned a lot. But I'm going to ask you to pick one thing, and I want you to find somebody that you haven't talked with yet today, and each of you exchange that one thing that you've learned out of this study so far that we've been doing together. So ready? One, two, three, go. Go. All right. Should be able to get it out pretty quick. I have to say that probably the book of Revelation is one of the most sought after and mysterious books of the Bible that we can find. It's loaded with. creatures that we have never seen on earth it's loaded with descriptions of things that we kind of sometimes wonder if do they really exist man for years and years and years and years has been studying the book of revelation trying to find out exactly what it says I think sometimes we've even complicated the meaning of revelation. I think that we've written books upon books and upon books when just the simplicity of sitting before God and praying and fasting and reading the word for what it says was God's intention. We're going to look at the intentions of God this morning through these seven letters. Now, we're not going to look at all seven because we've been slowly dissecting each letter. But we're going to look at one today, but the beauty of Revelation is, is that this particular book gives us the most clear picture of several things: who Jesus is. It gives us a clear picture of what He wants in his church. It tells us his heavenly commission, how, we're, how He will prepare the nations for His glory, and most of all, our internal inheritance. That's what the book of Revelation is in a nutshell. How many of you realize that the book of Revelation is about Jesus Christ? This is where you raise your hand. <laughs> there you go. I guarantee you by the middle of this message, you will be awake if you're not now. The book of Revelation is about Jesus Christ. It's about his majesty. It's called the book of Revelation. And it, you look down at the, the commentary under that and it says about the majesty of Jesus. It is our handbook for prior to the return of Christ. That's why it was put there. All of these things, this little list about what the book of Revelation is, tells us exactly what we can expect from Jesus upon his return. Now, all of that is fantastic. All of that is awesome. And the return of Christ, we can't avoid it. No matter how much we want to like set it in the back of our minds and pursue our daily desires, there's no way that we can ignore it. Because it's going to happen. It's inevitable. But just for a moment, what I want us to do is I want us to pause. Because we're going to touch on the return of Christ today. But I want us to pause and understand that all of that is great. All of that is wonderful and fantastic. But what about our hearts? What about our hearts? Because if our hearts are not in the right place, if they are not where they are supposed to be, then this whole idea, this whole concept, this whole lifestyle of revealing Jesus to those around us doesn't really do us any good. In this series, Heartbroken, we have been taking our time in discovering the areas of the heart of the church not just Erie First, but the church universal-wide. We have been looking at those chambers of our heart that have been broken, that are in need of healing, that have been darkened over time, that need to be lightened once again. And the beauty of these seven letters is it defines the truths and focus necessary to equip the body of Christ to reveal Jesus. Hence why we are studying through the book of Revelation. Revelation. I want you to take a deep breath. Let it out. See, the reason I had you do that is because I know the past couple of weeks have been pretty heavy. There's nothing really easy about this message. There's nothing really easy about this whole series. We've been examining these churches, and and when we examine them, we see Jesus says some pretty heavy stuff. But today I want you to know that Jesus has an exciting message for us a message of encouragement in fact he gives us this truth Jesus tells us to endure in the place that he has positioned us and because of our endurance he will reward us for our faithfulness and it says that he will inscribe his name on us now you're saying wow that's all fine and dandy but I don't have a clue as to what you just said I understand the whole enduring thing, but I just don't understand how is he going to inscribe his name on us? Well, we're going to get into that in a few moments. But this was what he spoke to the church of Philadelphia. Now you may think that uh, Philadelphia, what we're talking about today is the city of brotherly love located a little lower in Pennsylvania here, but that's not the Philadelphia that we're talking about today. We're talking about the Philadelphia located way, way, way far away. The Church of Philadelphia was actually located in the city of Philadelphia. Now, some may know Philadelphia as the City of Prosperity, or maybe known as the Fortress, or the Solitude, meaning the Fortress of Solitude. Or, others knew it as Little Athens. See, Philadelphia was known as a city of great wealth, It was also known as a city of great occultic activity and idol worship. Except Philadelphia took idol worship to a greater degree than what we would know as of today, and they created emperor worship, where the emperor that was put in place was the one to be worshipped. We're going to talk about that a little more in depth in just a little bit. But here, Philadelphia is one of these seven churches that God specifically wants to talk to. And we know that in these seven letters that are released, they're not only historical, but they're an affirmation to us here and now for our faithfulness as well as a promise to overcome. It's so amazing as we begin to unfold this letter to the Philadelphia, to the Church of Philadelphia. It is amazing how strategically, Jesus speaks right directly to them. But what's even more amazing is, is how he speaks directly to us in this hour. So here's the diagnosis that Jesus gives to the church of Philadelphia. He simply says, we are enduring well. We are enduring well. Now you may say, but wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm looking at the church of America, Because I'm watching what it's saying on TV. I'm listening to the evangelists. I'm checking out the latest websites. I'm reading the latest issue of Charisma. And we're not enduring well. We have to understand that Jesus is saying to us, this is a prophetic declaration of saying what is to come. It's a reminder to us to say, there are going to be hard times, and I promise you, I promise you, you are going to endure well. Because right now, currently, the state of what the church is in, we look at it and we say, there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of misunderstandings, we're not sure where we're headed or where we're going. But I can tell you one thing is, is God is reminding us and saying, I, I know where we're going. And I'm going to show you where we're going. But I tell you what's ahead. I'm going to promise you, and I'm going to tell you, you're enduring well. Put a smile on your face. This is a good message today. (laughs) Now, keep that smile and just say to yourself, I'm enduring well. Say it again and believe it. I'm enduring well. Some of you need to hear that. Some of you need to hear it. Just like the Church of Philadelphia. In the midst of all of the chaos and all of the confusion... Jesus just takes time out of eternity and he writes this letter to them and says, you're enduring well. Don't be so hard on yourself. You're enduring well. You're going to make it. And if we desire to have an enduring heart, we must understand that faith always precedes a faithful heart. Faith always precedes a faithful heart. Now, I, I want to know, what, what, what is your definition of faith? Faith. Some of you are starting to sweat because I'm coming off the stage right now.
1: Is he going to pick me? me
0: Lucy, what is your definition of faith? Faith The things things of evidence not seen and hoped for. Okay. Yes. Yes. Justin says faith means love. Faith means love. Gary, what's your definition of faith? (laughs) <laughs> Believing, what the Bible says. Believing what the Bible says. Ooh, regardless if we see it in our lives or not. Now, I'm going to be really honest, and this might be sacrilegious to some of you, but when I started to be a follower of Christ, when I, you know, confessed with my heart and confessed with my mouth and believed that Jesus Christ is Lord and that the only way to heaven is through accepting Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and repenting of my sin... When I became a follower of Christ, I hated the word faith. I hated it because I didn't understand it. I heard people preaching about faith. You got to have more faith, walk in faith, live in faith. And I thought, I just don't understand this. So I just began to hate the word faith. I hated studies on faith. I hated preaching on faith and topics on faith. Faith was just not my forte. But faith simply means this means to trust, to trust wholeheartedly in someone. That's what faith is. Believe it or not, you're exercising your faith right now. Not in me, but where you're sitting. You have faith. You put your trust in that one thing, that pew that you're sitting in this morning when you came in. I don't think any of you walked over and went like this. And then, you know, slowly put yourself in and just kind of, and then let everything just kind of settle. You didn't do that. You came right in. You plopped down. You're still sitting there. You have faith. But faith in God. See, faith will always precede a faithful heart. See, we just can't wake up one day and say, my heart is faithful to Jesus. It just doesn't work like that. You have to trust in the one that you are following. And if we want to have an enduring heart, because Jesus says that we are enduring well, if we want to have that enduring heart that Jesus is talking about, it starts with having faith in him. Not faith in anything else or anyone else, but having faith in him. See, this was big for the Church of Philadelphia. Because emperors at that time, because of emperor worship, They would make promises and they would make decrees to the whole city, to the nation, to the empire. And they would make decrees, but they weren't always followed through, hence no faithfulness. And here Jesus steps out and he says, wait, you know what? I know that you've seen a lot of unfaithfulness, but I tell you what, I am the faithful one. I am the one who will take care of you. So therefore, endure because I will come through. I'm telling you, you can trust in me no matter what you see and no matter what you hear because I will be the one who comes through for you. Not those who claim to be the Son of God. And you say that because, wait a minute, you just said claim to be the Son of God. That's because in emperor worship, one of the terms they went by was the Son of God, all lowercase, not the Son of God, but the Son of God. Look with me in Revelation 3, 7 through 8. Revelation 3, 7 through 8, it says this, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. See, that's a great message, guys. That's a great message. Jesus encourages the church of Philadelphia and says, you haven't denied my name. I'm the only one that is really holy and true. I am the only one that is really accurate and perfect. And I tell you what, you've endured to the end. And you haven't denied my name. See, this was the whole thing about emperor worship in Philadelphia was because You had a choice. Choice number one you could submit to the false Son of God, who was the emperor, and you would have your groceries taken care of. You'd have your gas taken care of. Maybe even a new company car. All these things would be taken care of. Your children would be in a good school, great job that you wanted to land. Your retirement fund would be perfect. But there was this other choice to choice number two, which was to submit to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. See, that was the problem, though, because it totally went against, it really went against the grain of what the emperors had established in the Church of Philadelphia. The same thing goes for us. Right now, we have a choice where we can submit to the false things that claim they are God, or we can submit to the Son of God. Now here's the thing. Submitting to the false gods doesn't require any endurance. It's easy. It's cakewalk. It's simple. Submitting to the Son of God takes endurance because it's adventurous, because it's critical, because there is no other way but through him. Because he's trustworthy and he's reliable. I love what he says. He says, I know your deeds. How many of you ever had blood work done for your cholesterol? I'm right with you. And it was funny, a few months ago, I'm sitting in my doctor's office and I go for regular checkups just to make sure I'm healthy, wealthy, and well. And... Um, the doctor says to me, she looks at me, she says, I'm going to need to do some blood work because I'm a little concerned with your cholesterol. <laughs> okay, go ahead. I work out. I run. Check it all you want. So she, you know, takes my blood work and comes back. She calls me in and, you know, you get that phone call, which they, the nurse calls you and tells you the doctor needs to talk to you, but they really can't tell you what the results are over the phone. So I go in and we sit down, and she starts naming off these numbers. And these numbers are pretty high. Because my cholesterol is high. Because what I didn't tell her is even though I work out, I live at McDonald's and I live at Burger King and I live at all those places. Now I don't do that anymore because I had to make a lifestyle change. But this is what she basically says to me after she has my blood work I know your deeds. I know what you've been up to. I couldn't hide it. I couldn't hide it. I could tell her till I was blue in the face and say, no, I eat my vegetables every day. I stay away from high amounts of milk, and I make sure that I exercise three to four times a week, and I never eat hamburgers and cheeseburgers and french fries and sausage egg McMuffins and biscuits, because she looked at the depths of my heart, And when she did, she says, I know your deeds. I know what you're doing, even when you don't think. I can't see. Church, here's the beautiful thing Jesus looks at us, and He looks at our hearts, and He says, I know your deeds. Now, see, when we hear that, we automatically begin to kind of shrivel up in the pew and we get scared and we feel condemned and we feel this weight come down upon us. And our mind starts racing and saying, oh my gosh, I better repent right now. What sin did I do on Friday? Okay, what did I do on Saturday? Oh my goodness. Hear me out. Take a deep breath. This is a word of encouragement that the Lord says to you I know your deeds, I can see that you are enduring. He says to the Church of Philadelphia, I know that you are tired, I know that you are weary, I know that you are weak and you are worn out, but don't give up, keep enduring. I believe this morning that he's saying to some of you, I know your deeds. I know that you're worn out. I know that you are weary in your situation. I know that you see no current hope at where you are, but endure. I tell you to endure because there is only one that you can trust in. There is only one that is faithful to you always. Endure where you are. So how are you doing with your faithfulness? How are you doing with your faithfulness and what God has spoken to you? How are you doing with the promise that he has laid out before you? See, the Church of Philadelphia understood promises because Jesus wrote to them and said, I have these many promises for you that if you do this, I promise you, I will reward you. Endure. How are you doing with your faithfulness? How are you doing in the midst of your faithfulness with Jesus, in the midst of your circumstance where everything is so dark? where it feels like from every end you are being bombarded constantly. How are you doing? Are you remaining faithful to the one that is faithful and true to you? Are you looking to him and nowhere else? And are you saying to him, I remember your promises. I remember what you're saying. So I am going to endure. What does Jesus see when he looks in the depths of your heart? Church, in the moment, the message isn't about sin. It's about an encouragement to us to say, when he looks at your heart, is he still finding that you are faithful and true and willing to endure until he moves in your life? Because he says, don't give up now. Don't give up now. And then he gives us the motivation. The motivation is is that we experience his faithfulness in full. Can you imagine the faithfulness of God in full? See, that's hard for us to comprehend because as human beings, we are unfaithful people. That's just reality. We're unfaithful in many areas of our lives. We're not committed in one area, but we can be really committed in another. But see, we have a hard time accepting and believing that the God of the universe, the creator, the one who spoke life into existence would still be faithful to us even when we're not faithful to him. And he says to us, I tell you, I tell you, I tell you, if you endure and you remain faithful in this moment, I will pour out the fullness of my faith on you. The fullness. It doesn't say I'm going to give you 90% and I'm going to withhold the 20. I meant the 10. That's why I'm a preacher, because I don't do math. See, when Jesus looks at us, he loves us so much. He loves us so much. Let me say that again. He loves us so much that he wants to give us everything. Everything, even when we are not faithful. See, because our concept as humans is, is if you mess with me and you do anything to me that hurts me, then fine, you know what? I'm going to take from you. I'm going to pull away from you. And now you've got to earn it back So I'm going to give you a little at a time. And then there's Jesus. I know when you sinned, it hurt. But because I went to the cross, I forgive you. So take it all. Take it all. Take it all. What? What? No. No, 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 no. I'm not going to give you a little at a time. You've endured. So I'm going to give it all to you. I'm going to give you the fullness of what I have. Enduring well where God has placed us means that being acquainted with Jesus never lasts. (laughs) How many of you have friends? How many of you have acquaintances? All of us, right? Friends we define as those people that we trust, that we, you know, talk with continuously. We put things of information into their hands that we know they're not going to just speak all over town. Their friends are the ones that we depend on, that in those moments of desperate need, they're there. Acquaintances are those that we're a little reserved on. We just don't spill everything out. We don't tell them all of our life and everything that is intimate to us. And our acquaintances, those ones that, you know, if we need something, we really don't fully depend on them because we don't know for sure if they're going to come through for us or not. Friends you can trust. Acquaintances, maybe a little. Friends speak the truth, no matter what it is. Acquaintances might tell you what you want to hear because they have an agenda. Look with me at verse 9. Verse 9 and 10 are there together, but I just want to look at verse 9. It says, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. As we read through this letter, we can see that Jesus used some pretty heavy wording here synagogue of Satan. I mean, can you imagine being called a synagogue of Satan? See, a synagogue was a place of worship for the Jews. The synagogue was a place where they gathered and where they would study the word of God or the Torah. And they would argue the scriptures until they came into an agreement. But Jesus says this, he says, they are a synagogue of Satan. Not a synagogue of the Lord, but a synagogue of Satan. What Jesus was saying to them at the time was, he said, Here's the deal. There are these Jews that are persecuting you right now. And we don't know if that was physical persecution, we don't know if it was verbal persecution, mental persecution, anything like we're not sure, but we know this that Jesus says, there are those who are claiming to be Christ followers with their words but not with their actions and they're persecuting you and they say that they love me, but the reality is is they are a synagogue of Satan, meaning That they are just as bad as the Antichrist. That's what he's saying. And he says, they are not friends of mine, they are acquaintances. They're just acquainted with me, but they're not my friends. See, if we're acquainted with God, we will not know endurance. Because when we're acquainted, we have no accountability. When we're acquainted, when it gets too hot, we just pull out. When the tough, when it gets too tough, we just kind of, oh, I can move myself out of that. When we are friends with God, though, it takes endurance because following Jesus is not easy. And there will be tough times. But I tell you what, friends of God are the ones who have the ability to endure. Acquaintances of God, Jesus will deal with them swiftly. Look at verse 10 with me. Since you've kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Now the hour of trial at that time was a specific period of persecution for Christ followers at that time. But understand this church, understand this. Don't let, you know, wipe your head and be like, whew, Thank you, Jesus. We are safe." That also foreshadows what is to come for the end time church. Don't get so caught up in worrying that you got this free ride out of the heat. Because the word of God tells us otherwise. See, it's interesting that Jesus says to them, he says, look, I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial, but I'm not going to remove you completely from the hour of trial. See, we look at that, we get all excited, and we're like, "Woo! I can relax. But see, what's the point of endurance? What's the point of Paul saying, hey, run the good race, And don't give up. Don't stop. Because, see, we think the prize is automatically our salvation, and we stop there, and we're like, "Woo! I got saved. I'm on a one-way ticket to heaven. Thank you, Jesus. My prize is won. No, 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 no. It doesn't stop there. That's only the beginning. We're learning to endure. We're people of dominion. Oh, wait, wait, what? You just said the D word. I'm sorry, I'm not familiar with that. Oh, wait. Christ followers need to be reacquainted with the word dominion. See, we're so worried and so looking forward to getting out of here that we're forgetting about what God called us to do in the meantime to take dominion of the earth. If you want to take dominion, that takes endurance. So he says to us, you have to have an enduring heart. You have to be my friend because you won't make it. If you're just acquainted with me, you're not going to make it. But he says to them, you have patiently endured, which tells us if they were capable of it,
1: we're capable of it.
0: And that's exciting. I know it's another breath moment. Let's take a deep breath. And let it out. Okay? But here's the reward. Here's the reward that Jesus gives us. This is what he says. We will receive eternal promises. The reward is we receive eternal promises. That's pretty cool. Imagine with me for a moment that we're down at Steelers Stadium. Hang on, Browns fans. But it's a big face-off between the Steelers and the Browns today. And we're down there in the stadium. And we, it's just packed. Surrounded with thousands and thousands and thousands of fans. Families, children, moms, dads. Packed. People are pressing on the gates because they want to get into the game. They want to see what's going on. And they're turning people away because there's so much attendance. And just when we're expecting for the teams to come running out and meet the captains meet, and they get ready to flip that coin to see who's going to take ownership, doesn't happen. Instead, we see this big processional of all the players coming out. They're not in their team jerseys, though. They're coming out with images on their clothing. But in the midst of that, before that all happens, we see this one man. He comes out, escorted by centurions or modern-day soldiers. And they escort him over to this place. It looks like a large throne, kind of in the center of what they would say would be the stadium. And everyone is in awe. Everyone is standing in attendance out of respect. until he's seated. It's so silent in that crowded stadium that you could literally hear a pin drop. Because the Son of God has made his way in to sit on the throne of God. And all those players with images on their clothing are those of the gods that they worship. Because they're not going to just play football today. They are going to declare to the emperor, to the son of God, the one who sits on God's throne, they are going to declare their allegiance to the son of God. And not only that, they are going to tell that the team that wins is the one whose God is best. But here's the catch. For the one that plays the best, the one that runs the hardest, the one that tackles the most, the one that receives the most, the one whatever, he'll receive The crown of life, a wreath that they will wear on their heads as their reward. And it'll be placed on them by the Son of God, the one who sits on the throne of God. See, that's what it was like in Philadelphia. If you lived in Philadelphia at that time, games were important. So everyone would gather in the Colosseum. And when they would gather in the Colosseum, there would be 40 plus thousand people. And the emperor, who was seen as God or known as the Son of God, would make his way in, sit down in the designated place called the throne of God, and then anyone who was competing would make their way in, declaring who their gods were. And if they won, they would be given what they call the crown of life. That was their reward. Jesus speaks to the church of Philadelphia and says, "Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm no, 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 no you're going you're to run a different race because you're going to endure spiritually. And, and by the way, I'm telling you that this, this is the real son of God that's talking to you, the one who sits on the real throne, and I will be the one who gives you the real crown of life. Hence why Paul says, run the race and get the prize because see to the church of Philadelphia at the time to run the race meant oh my goodness i have to submit to the emperor and run this race and i'll receive this wreath called the crown of life and jesus says no 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 you're going to run a different race because i have eternal promises for you look with me in verse 11, verses 11 through 13 it says i am coming soon hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Church, did you hear that? Jesus said it himself. I'm coming soon. You might want to wake up right now. Jesus is returning soon. We should be excited about that. That means we should be exuberant, meaning, yes, Jesus is returning. Hallelujah. We are excited. Yes. Hmm. That's kind of scary. My question is, are we semi-excited then? A little excited? Well, man, you don't understand. It's like I'm sitting here in the pew, I'm all comfortable and stuff, and, uh, you know, this isn't really the time to clap because the preacher's preaching. I mean, like, we just don't clap when the preacher's preaching, and, Jesus is coming soon. He is returning for an enduring church. And we're not excited about that? Hmm. Where's our focus at? Just saying. But here's the thing He, and maybe this will speak to us more, a little better. But when he says to the Church of Philadelphia, don't let anyone cause you to compromise. Because when I return, I will give you your eternal rewards. He's saying the same thing to us. Don't let anyone cause you to compromise so you will lose your eternal rewards that I have set for you. He's saying to the Church of Philadelphia, don't you dare think about running in that race for that emperor, that false son of God, and getting that false crown of life. And he looks at us and he says, don't you dare even think about wasting your energy on those things that will eventually perish away. Endure because the rewards that I have for you, the crown of life that I'm about to give you is far greater than anything else. And you should be anticipating my return because of what I am going to do on the earth and what I'm going to do in you and through you and what we're going to do for the rest of eternity. Look at what else he says. He talks about for those who endure, not only do they receive the crown of life, but they become a pillar in the temple of God and he inscribes his name on them. Back in that time, if you were a person who is recognized for being, quote-unquote, a pillar in the community, someone who did a lot for those who were in need and took care of those people who were in need or was an example to the city or the community, what they would do is, in a very rare occasion, they would take and they would erect a pillar near the temple of worship. Not God's temple of worship, but their temple of worship. And they would put that up there, and then they would inscribe your name on it to declare your position and your authority in the community. And Jesus says to the church of Philadelphia, and he says to us, listen, don't compromise, endure, because I am going to make you a pillar in my city. And I will inscribe your name on it because I will declare to the world your position and your authority in my kingdom. That's pretty awesome. He says, I'll inscribe this name on you. And when that name goes on you, that describes my ownership of you. And you are now identified with me. See, because it says in the word that in the last days there will be false prophets, there will be false teachers, and there will be those who claim that they are with Jesus, they're acquainted with Jesus. But then Jesus comes along and says, "Mm -mm, This will set you apart. Your endurance and me handing you these rewards will be what sets you apart from them. We are His because we've endured. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. We are his because we've been given new identity, new abilities, and new assignments. In a moment, we're going to sing this song that we sung earlier this morning. It's totally a God thing because I wanted this song sung and they didn't know it. And it was the song that was kind of, in essence, the pillar of what we were doing before we even got here. Excuse me. It was like the hinge of what happened in the service. And John didn't even know about it, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is exactly where we are headed in this moment. Church... The time of depending on our emotions is over. The time of depending on our circumstance is over. The same letter that Christ wrote to the church of Philadelphia, he's writing on our hearts right now and saying to us, I want you to endure. I want you to endure a little longer. I want to teach you faithfulness at a deeper level. I want you to no longer be acquainted with me. I want you to be my friend. A friend of God. And he looks at us and he invites us. And he says, I guarantee you, I have rewards for you if you won't compromise and if you won't settle for what everyone else is offering you. I'm going to ask you to stand, please. In just a moment, we're going to sing this song. We already sung it this morning, but we're going to sing it again. And the reason we're going to sing it again is because for some of us here, we're ready to throw in the towel in our circumstance. For some of us us here, you're ready to quit your marriage. For some of us here, you're ready to quit your job, or you're ready to quit a relationship. And the Lord is just simply saying to you, endure for what I have ahead of you. Don't give up. And there's some of you that are saying, well, that's not me. But the Lord is still saying to you, don't check out on eternity just yet. I want to teach you to endure till I return. I want to teach you what your priorities are. So when I do return, you're positioned in the right place so I can inscribe my name on you because of your faithfulness. I'm going to ask that the worship team would lead us in this song and let's make this a declaration as a church that we're ready to change for Jesus.
1: We wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will... sing that again. Strength will rise. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait.